What a blessing and privilege it is to be assembled for worship on this first day of the week. To be able to praise God in song, to petition Him in prayer, to commune and remember and be inspired by our Savior. And now to be able to open God's Word and study it together for a little while. This morning we want to talk about self-control. In Second Peter, the first chapter... We have a familiar passage here of what we often refer to as the Christian graces, characteristics and qualities that a Christian should possess. In fact, critical to our salvation and assurance of salvation. You want to have salvation? You want to know you have salvation? You want to ensure that you don't lose your salvation? If you want an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God, these things make you that you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the Lord. That you'll never fall, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. And so developing, acquiring, developing, having self-control of our lives is critical in having salvation and having assurance of salvation. We think about the term self-control, it's somewhat self-defining. Controlling self. The Greek word here in grates means strong, robust, Having power over, possessed of a thing, mastering, controlling, curbing, restraining. I think we understand the concept. Vine writes, the various powers bestowed by God upon man are capable of abuse. The right use demands the controlling power of the will. Another familiar passage that relates to discipline and self-control. 1 Corinthians 9 Verses 24 through 27, Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We're all competing for this eternal prize, for this imperishable wreath. And Paul tells us, here's what it takes to win. You've got to have self-control in all things. That's the key. Virtually every success and every failure ties back to self-control in some way. And so if I'm in it to win it, as Paul says here, I'm going to have a life that's governed by reason and conviction rather than impulse and passion. An inner discipline that's going to manifest and express itself outwardly in our actions. Another familiar passage in Galatians 5, where Paul lists the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. Those things that are characteristic of a life that's out of control versus a life that's under control of the influence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As you go down the list of the works of the flesh, a group of students was asked to correlate and find the fruit of the Spirit that defeats that work of the flesh. And by each work of the flesh, they listed self-control. Every one of them, self-control. Critical not only in defeating the works of the flesh, but also in developing the fruit of the Spirit. I think it's interesting, the fruit of the Spirit list starts with agape love, ends with self-control. You need self-control Not only for every work of the flesh, but also to develop every fruit of the Spirit. Good things become bad without self-control. Good fruit rots without self-control. Think about many examples of that. 
where good things in life can become bad without self-control. Think about a river. Normally a good thing, a blessing, but whenever it rains too much and it floods and it overflows, something good becomes bad when it becomes out of control. You know, we all want a quick fix to our control problems, right? We want a quick fix when we're out of control. That's why much money and advertisements are made with these spills. You know, pop this pill and you can sit on your backside binge watching your favorite television show for weeks, eating lots of chocolate, but you'll lose 200 pounds. And we like that option because we don't like the option that says I need to diet and exercise because that requires self-discipline and self-control. But Paul said, if you want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to be spiritual, if you want to live the spiritual life, that is sustained daily discipline and daily diligence. There's no shortcut to spirituality. It requires a great deal of self-control. And so whenever we look at these subjects, I like to ask those questions, who, what, when, where, why, how. We're not going to ask all six. We want to ask three questions this morning. Why, what, and how? And I like to start with why, because often we start with what we do and what we need to do and how we go about doing it. But if we don't start with why, if we aren't intrinsically motivated, if we aren't bought in, the what and the how aren't going to get done. We need to start with why and the heart and the mind. And as we think about why we need self-control in life, our experience and our observations should tell us that my life is bettered and improved and more successful In almost every way when I'm living a life of discipline. Conversely, it's worsened, more complicated, more chaotic, more difficult whenever it's out of control. And so as we think about the effects of a lack of self-control in our life, obviously it affects us personally and individually. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Think about how it affects me physically when I'm out of control. Gluttony, alcohol, addictions, bad habits, not having a good work ethic, my ability to make money, to provide for myself and my family, to have healthy relationships. The key to health and happiness ties back in some way to self-control. Think about the effects of anger and losing control concerning our temper. Studies continue to show That anger can have as much of an effect, unresolved anger can have as much of an effect on your heart as high cholesterol and smoking. In fact, they say that within two hours of an angry outburst of losing control, your chances of having a heart attack or a stroke skyrocket. So not only does losing control have a great impact on me physically in my life, but above that, above all, it affects me spiritually. Galatians 5, that passage we talked to earlier, those who practice such things, the works of the flesh, those whose lives are out of control will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a salvation issue. My soul is at risk. My soul is at stake. I lose everything when I lose control. Not only does it affect me individually, it affects those that I impact and those that I influence, starting with my family. Think about again, when I have addictions and habits, alcoholism, pornography, gambling, compulsive spending that's out of control. How does that affect those I'm supposed to provide for? 
How many homes and lives have been destroyed because people couldn't control themselves, couldn't control themselves with what they looked at on the Internet? Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Kelsey and I have been making a concerted effort to not discipline our children out of anger and frustration. The struggle is real, right? It's hard. Quit yelling. You ever do that? (laughs) Don will tell you and testify a few weeks ago, Lincoln kind of took a swat at somebody because he was in a foul mood. And I went over there and said, we don't hit. And I swatted his hand. (laughs) I don't regret that. I'll do it again. I've done it again. He needed a swat on the hand. But we got to think about our influence and our example. Sometimes the quirks and the bad habits we see in our children are the things they see in us. It's convicting when your children and you start seeing your strengths and your weaknesses in your children. I already see my CDO and my analyzing in Kyson. And that's very convicting and very motivating. What they see in us, they see they, they smell hypocrisy. When we demand you need to control yourself on Friday night, when they see us out of control without discipline, Sunday through Saturday. They're either not going to submit, they're not going to respect us, they're going to rebel against that authority, and or they're going to acquire the same quirks and bad habits that you possess in your own life. It affects our family tremendously when we don't have control. When we live lives that are out of control, it affects our spiritual family You look at the characteristics and qualifications of an elder, leadership in the church, these ultimate qualities that we would seek to possess, and they all tie back virtually in some way to self-control, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, self-controlled. And the implication is when you put people in positions of authority and leadership and visibility and they are out of control... It's going to damage not only the credibility of the church and the influence without, it's going to hurt the flock within. Lyndon Johnson, who was a president of the United States, his wife had observed him losing control physically. He had gained some weight. And so she made a convicting statement to him that motivated him to lose 23 pounds. She said, how can you run the country if you can't run yourself? And that's the concept. It affects Others, not only internally, but externally. Peter talked about this in 1 Peter 4. So we wasted enough time living like Gentiles, living in sin and lust. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation or excess. When we don't engage in excess, when we live lives of self-control, it is a testimony to unbelievers. They think it's strange that your life is not out of control in an addicted, out-of-control world. And so many people are compromising the credibility of the church, the influence and example of the church through excess in lives that are out of control. When we go out in public and we're to be an example of the believers, right? We go out in public. Somebody gets an order wrong. How do we treat them when we're frustrated? When somebody cuts us off on the road. I'm always trying to convince my wife that the horn doubles as an alarm clock and I'm doing a public service. How do we respond? We go to the ball game. How do we act? 
You see, when we're out of control, when we go places that are associated with activities and things that are in excess and are out of control, and that's our influence and example, we give unbelievers an opportunity to blaspheme and accuse us of hypocrisy, which is a major turnoff. So I think we understand the effects, the why we need to live lives that are under control. But what do we need to control? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, all things. It's pretty all-encompassing. Think about the major categories and aspects of our life and character that require self-control. I pray daily, and virtually every prayer I pray, God, please help me to control my thoughts, my tongue, and my temper. Because it's a struggle. And I hope that in praying that frequently, when somebody walks in my office and gets on my nerves a few minutes later, I can control myself. I can bite my tongue. And there are days where I need to pray that prayer even more than I do. We need to control our thoughts. That's where it starts. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Often when the Bible talks about self-control, it's talking about sexual self-control, control of your body. And that starts in your mind. Go back to the garden. When we have a reaching problem, when we reach for forbidden fruit, looking problem on the internet, that starts with a thinking problem. The thinking problem results from the, in the looking problem, which results in the reaching problem. We've got to control our mind. Think about food and drink and gluttony. It's probably appropriate subject considering the holiday season that's upon us when we lose control if you can't control yourself physically as lyndon johnson's wife said how are you going to rule anything else the saying goes we all think we have self-control until the chips and salsa come out right can we control ourselves physically think about temperance movements that came about because people saw the tremendous devastation of the home and the society because people couldn't control themselves concerning drink Paul connects self-control to modesty in 1 Timothy 2. I think that's interesting. And it occurs to me in the world and in the church, a lot of people out of control in regards to modesty. What about financial self-control? Paul said, you've got to control your riches. Don't let your riches control you. And that starts in the mind. Attitude, outlook, covetousness, greed, or contentment. Starts in the mind. Compulsive behaviors, whether that's compulsive eating, compulsive spending, compulsive gambling, compulsive looking, compulsive sinning, is the result of compulsive thinking that occurs in the heart and the mind. We've got to control our thoughts. We've got to control our tongue. James says, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is useless. Chapter 3, all about controlling the tongue. He said, we can contain all kinds of wild beasts and powerful things, but no man can control the tongue. It's a fire. It's a little member that defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. You think about the ways that we lose control of our tongues. Gossip, lying, often compulsive behavior, cursing, angry words. Self-control is what allows me to bite my tongue and keep my mouth shut when I am tempted to put somebody in the proverbial place and to tell a juicy story. That makes me feel big and powerful. It's a daily challenge for every single one of us to slay the fire-breathing dragon that's within all of us. But James says if you can control your tongue, you can control anything. It's that important. And then control our temper. Think about temperance. 
concept we'll be talking about, controlling our temper, which relates to controlling our tongue, which comes from controlling our thoughts. It's all interconnected. Proverbs 14, 29, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Chapter 16, 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Proverbs 25, 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Think about in ancient times, the walls of a city were very important. They were the defense system. Walls came tumbling down, Jericho, and they were able to conquer the city. You let your guard down. That's the concept. Whenever we lose control, we become defenseless. Think about what would happen if everybody would learn self-control. If they would learn to control your anger. What would happen to divorce and child abuse and terrorism and murder and war? Be eradicated. Our emotions out of control make us weak. How often have you thought or said, I I should have never said that. I should have never done that, but I was just so angry. So the Bible says your heart is wicked and deceitful. Don't follow your heart. Lead it with what you know is true, with what you know is right. Don't let your emotions overpower your intelligence. The truth and what you know is true. And so how do we do that? That's easier said than done. I can pray, help me control my thoughts, my tongue, and my temper, but it's easier said than done. How do we practically go about achieving this? I think Paul gives us some principles in Colossians, the third chapter, that we can put together and outline a methodology by which we can have control in our lives. And I think that always starts with recognition. First step in any solution, in any problem... It's saying, I have a problem. I'm losing control. I have a control issue in this area of my life. And we all do. We all have temptations. We all have things. We Now, I might have things in life I struggle with, control, that you don't, and vice versa. I have discipline and organization in certain areas of my life that maybe you don't, and vice versa. But we all struggle in some way with control in various aspects of our life and character. We all get angry and frustrated in some way. If you don't, you're either in denial or you don't have a pulse. We get frustrated. The difference is, how do we respond to it? How do we handle it? Somebody says, I'm not angry. Oh, you convince me, right? So much of counseling situations tie back to unhealthy, unrighteous anger. And people say, I'm not angry. Or they buy into this junk philosophy and counseling that says, well, you can't help how you feel. Follow your heart. Vent it. Let it out. And so the first thing we have to do is honestly analyze where is this coming from? Why am I angry? Is this righteous anger or unrighteous anger? Notice in Colossians 3, Paul talks about God's anger and then says for us to put off anger. Same Greek word. So there's a sense in which we can be angry, be angry and sin not. Jesus, righteous anger. We can have righteous anger. Am I angry about sin? Is it about God? Is it about the truth? Angry at sin, not the sinner? Or is it about me and my frustration? The truth is, usually when I'm honest about it, it's not righteous anger, it's unrighteous anger, it's about me. Why do we get angry? Think about the major reasons we get angry. We get hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually, it makes us angry. You ever hit your nail with a hammer? How do you respond? My cousin Coulter poked me in the eye playing basketball one time. I wanted to smack him. (laughs) And I knew it was not intentional. Rationally, anger is irrational. I knew he didn't do it on purpose, but I was seeing red. Somebody hits you in the nose, you're seeing red. Fear. Somebody backs you in the corner. Sometimes you come out swinging. Somebody drives too fast down your street. You get angry. Children outside playing. 
But truth be told, you know why I'm usually angry? Because of frustration. Something is threatening what I love or what I want. And it's often things that I shouldn't love or that I love too much. The Bible says inordinate affections. These idols, these blessings become idols and we get mad about dumb things. Why am I a hundred times angrier about trivial things, people disrespecting me, than I am about some injustice in the world or some sin? It's because I love myself too much. God asked Cain and he asked Jonah the same question. Are you right to be angry? And when I ask that question, it's very convicting. It's very embarrassing because usually it's because I didn't get what I want. And I demand my rights. And it's not the root. It's a symptom. It's a warning light. There's a problem in my life that needs to be resolved. Don't ignore it, says the guy who has had a check engine light in on the car for several months. We don't want to do that spiritually and emotionally. That just turns everything into a volcano. Paul talked about that in Ephesians 4, a parallel passage to Colossians 3. Starts with bitterness internally. And then it builds and it escalates. Goes from bitterness to wrath to anger to clamor to evil speaking. It'll manifest itself externally. And so I've got to change the way I respond and react to triggers that get me out of control. And I don't need to deny or suppress. I need to recognize and admit I've got a problem. And then I can accept responsibility. That's really critical because the world says you can't help it. You were born that way, right? Think about all the perversions or people that have out-of-control lives and the excuse is, well, I can't help it. I was born that way. It's in my DNA. So mom and dad decide to cheat on one another, move out. Children are devastated. Home's broken up, but you can just tell the kids, hey, don't blame them. They can't help it. They were born that way. Or dad likes to beat up on mom. <laughs> He's got a temper, but he can't help it. He was born that way. Or with children and things people do with children, they can't help it. They were born that way. Or our children, we think, oh, they can't help going out and sowing their wild oats. And they're going to fornicate. Our children are not rabbits, and they can't help it. God created us with free will. First Corinthians 10, he'll give you a way of escape. Won't let you be tempted above that which you're able God is faithful. We either believe that or we don't believe that. <clears throat> we can help it. Colossians 3.8, put off these things. That means you can do it. It's a command. First Thessalonians 4, we read earlier, possess your body. You can control it. There's not an exemption or an exception in these verses if you have a short fuse or a strong sex drive. Walter Mitchell did a experiment known as the marshmallow experiment. Dollar General on McCormick doesn't have the big marshmallows, by the way, if you're looking for those. But he did an experiment where he took three and a half to five year and a half year old children, put them in a room without distractions. That's the age range roughly of my oldest son, Kyson. And he said, you can have one marshmallow right now or if you wait a little bit, it was typically about 15 minutes, you can have two marshmallows. Delayed gratification. And what that research showed was that those who were able to delay gratification for the long-term goal were more successful in life. And it held up. If you learned self-control early on, often you had self-control as an adult. They had higher SAT scores. They had lower body mass indexes, healthier physically because of self-control. 
They were more successful in life. And so that's a really critical concept that we think about financially. Compulsive spending, I have to have this, can't live within my means, can't ever seem to get ahead. Discipline. I'm going to have the one marshmallow or am I looking long term for the two marshmallows? Really important we teach our children this. We need to get busy teaching Lincoln this because I think this is where he's at currently. Kelsey left the room for a brief moment the other day, came back in. He was on the counter in the kitchen. We thought the candy corn was out of reach. Apparently it wasn't. She went over there and began to pry it out of his mouth, thinking it was a couple pieces. He had stuffed 10 pieces of candy corn in his mouth. He looked like a chipmunk. His philosophy is, I'm going to get all that I can while I can. And we've got to change that. And we've got to look long term if we want to be successful, if we want our children to be successful. You can help it. God told Cain, you must master your sin. It's at the door. Your experience tells you you can control it, right? Think about when you're arguing with your spouse and some uh, brother or sister in Christ calls or the elders call. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Craig. You flip a switch. Or maybe it's time to go out in public. Maybe it's time to go into church. Even worse, when it's time to go preach (laughs) and you flip the switch. You flip the switch at work, right? You're mad at your boss, but you flip a switch because you don't want to lose your job. We can control ourselves better than we let on. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So once we recognize and accept responsibility, we can begin the task of renovation. Renovating our mind. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 10, and have put on the new man. You've put off the old man. You've put off the anger and the lack of control and the lust and the ways of the Gentile. How? You've put on the new man by being renewed in knowledge. Second Peter 1, it's fitting. Self-control is sandwiched between knowledge and patience, endurance. It comes from knowledge. Jesus said, out of your heart, out of the mind. Why would I say that? Why would I do that? It comes from your mind, your heart. Your mind, that's the factory. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. For example, the world says you need to vent. The Bible says you don't need to vent. We're going to see that verse later. Our heart is a factory. That means there's not a limited amount of anger. It can keep keep producing. And research continues to confirm what the Bible teaches. That outbursts just generate more outbursts. It just makes me angrier. It just feeds and breed. So I have to rene- renovate my mind, my attitude, and my outlook. That's why self-control is tied to the concept of sober-mindedness throughout the Bible. But how? Just trying not to think of something is a losing battle, right? Just emptying the house, Jesus said that you're just leaving a void for more devils to come back. I need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. You ever done that at night? Doesn't work. Don't think about marshmallows. Don't think about marshmallows. Quit thinking about marshmallows. What are you thinking about? You're thinking about marshmallows. When I was growing up, I did not enjoy eating my vegetables. I talked about that in the announcements the other day. In fact, I hated green beans. And my mom used to make me eat green beans. It was cruel and unusual punishment. And so one day I had the brilliant idea. I'm going to outsmart my parents. I was getting to that age. And I thought, I'm going to take my plate to the bathroom. And just because I'm so hungry and I'm just loving these green beans, I can't quit eating them. I went to the bathroom. I flushed my green beans down the toilet. My mom was right behind me. She took a plunger and plunged them out. It does not end with her making me eat the green beans. It didn't get that bad. But you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? It has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. That's the point. You're not thinking about marshmallows. You're thinking about green beans. 
That's what we got to do. Unless we're intentionally not letting ourselves think about and do anything else. We got to change channels. That's what those kids did. Cognitive restructuring. The kids that were able to delay gratification, you know what they did? They looked the other way. They averted their eyes. They covered their eyes. They sang. Distracted themselves. They invented games for their hands and their feet. Keep yourself occupied. One child was even able to fall asleep. We've got to change channels. We've got to change the way we look at something and see something. That's not, that's not a marshmallow. That's a green bean. I don't want that. I don't want that. Calming words. Rational thoughts. Because logic defeats anger because anger becomes irrational. I need the love and grace and truth of God to give me perspective. Usually when I'm angry and losing control, it's because I'm in a narrow place. In an irrational place, if I'll zoom out and look at the big picture, I can diffuse and dilute it. Think on these things. Humbleness of mind. Put on charity, the forgiveness, meekness, the way of thinking. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Count your blessings. Keep a running list of your blessings if you need to in your wallet. Sing as those children did. Let the word of God dwell in you. Be full of the word of God. Be thankful. And once we do that, we can resolve. It's willpower. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. That word mortify means put to death. And we can talk about all this theory and all the practical ways we go about achieving this. But at the end of the day, doesn't it always come back to quit? (laughs) Stop it. That's what Paul's saying. Quit. Quit looking at pornography. Quit losing control. Quit putting people in their place. Quit. Make up your mind. When are you going to quit something? Think about a bad habit. When do people quit? When they realize the cost of not changing is greater than the cost of changing in their lives. That's when they quit. If you can't quit something, you're not in control. So what if I had to quit television or social media? Or politics, because it was having a detrimental effect on me. We don't have self-control or need self-control because things are easy. We need self-control because of things that are hard. 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's the concept. Sometimes the answer is moderation. But often the answer is abstinence. Abstain from fornication, resolve, remove, refrain, refuse. Jesus said radical changes sometimes. Pluck out the eye, cut off the hand. Radical means from the root. That means the source of who I am. That means not compartmentalized, not segregated. Who I am 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You want self-control? you got to live like that. Not just on Sundays, not just at the Lord's Supper. But even on Friday night, sometimes that's radical. Think about relationships. Make no friendship with an angry man. Why? Because you're going to learn his ways. Don't mix with wine-bibbers. Don't be around angry people if you don't want to be angry. Don't be around negativity if you don't want negativity. Social media. Don't be around people who don't have control. Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Quit making provision for the flesh. Quit putting yourself in compromising situations. Paul said, give no place to the devil, Ephesians 4. We're often commanded to flee things. Flee, run away. That's what Joseph did in Genesis 39. He altered his environment because self-control owns the moment. And we make the decision ahead of time. Smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, reasonable. 
time-oriented. Be specific. Paul said, I don't beat the air blindly. I'm not running aimlessly. I've got to be technical. I've got to be precise. I've got to be pre- What areas of my life do I like control? Get specific. How am I going to overcome this? Get specific. Write down how you would biblically, ideally respond to that situation next time. What would Jesus do? Even when you're alone, with the door closed, in the dark, what are you going to look at? What are you going to watch? What are you going to do? How are you going to treat people? As Joseph realized, God's everywhere. God sees everything. See yourself as a three-year-old throwing a tantrum the next time you're tempted to get angry. You know, maybe lighten you up a little bit. But how convicting is it when you sometimes realize my children are being more mature about this than I am? (laughs) And find techniques that work for you. Whatever you have to do, do something incompatible with losing control, losing your temper. Think about the components of anger. It starts with an activating experience. Something happens, maybe out of your control. Then an inner emotional reaction. Again, maybe something natural. You don't like that. You're frustrated about that. That makes you angry. But now... What we can control, a series of thoughts that either accelerate or mitigate the anger and then the outer response. And the reason we lose hope, I can't change, is because we focus on the physical phenomenon, the blood boiling, and not our thoughts in response to what happened. That are either going to accelerate or de-escalate the situation. Self-control, by definition, means overruling my emotions Because of a higher goal, a higher purpose, a higher calling. Proverbs 29, 11, we talked about this. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Don't vent. Thomas Jefferson once said, when you're angry, count to 10. When you're really angry, count to 100. Take a time out. James 1, that's what the Bible teaches. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Angry people tend to jump to and act upon conclusions that are often inaccurate and irrational, as we talked about. Overcome evil with good, Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Give it to God. Resolve, reconcile with those that you wrong. Go say you're sorry when you lose control, when you lose your temper. Go work it out, Jesus said. Matthew 18. Go talk about it before it escalates. If people would follow Matthew 18 for conflict resolution, we would prevent so many eruptions and we would prevent a lot of regrets. We would prevent a lot of apologizing. If We'd go work it out before it escalates and erupts. So remember, the final step, remember. Remember your why. Remember your reason for maintaining self-control personally and for those that you love. Remember that God sees everything and knows everything. Remember that you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Remember, you put off the old man and put on the new man. Verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing. Remember that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Remember. Remember the cost. Cain, Moses. When I lose control, it costs me. Danger, D plus anger. And it's a dangerous gateway to other problems. Remember what happened last time. That's what I keep telling myself. Remember what happened last time. How'd that turn out for you? When you couldn't keep your mouth shut. How'd that turn out for you? Lady once told a preacher that she had a temper, but it was over in a minute. 
His response was, so is a shotgun blast, and it blows everything up. You see, we're trying to get what we want because we're frustrated. But we get what we ask for. We get what's coming to us, but not what we really want. So as the saying goes, learn to control your anger or your anger will control you. Paul said, look to the finish line. Look to that imperishable wreath. Look to the prize. Knowing, remembering, look to the reward. Delayed gratification, right? That's the key to success. And I want to tell you, there's instant gratification too. Jesus said, in this life and in the life to come. There's blessings in this life. When you live a life of control, it makes your life better. Relationships better. You're right with God. You're right with other people. There is a peace. There is a purpose. There is a joy that you will not find in an out-of-control world, in an out-of-control life. And so I have to ask myself the question, if I'm going to have discipline and self-control, am I going to do what I want now in the moment? Or am I going to look beyond the moment to what I and other people need most? That's how we live a life of discipline and self-control. Look to Jesus. The Proverbs talk about the effects. When we lose control, it results in trouble, arguments, mistakes, foolishness. We lose respect. We lose relationships, credibility, opportunity. You can lose your spouse, your children, job, money, property, health, soul, bottom line, you lose. When you lose control, you lose everything. So we look to Jesus. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Isaiah 53, ultimate example of self-control. Jesus, the suffering Savior who did not open his mouth. When they cursed him, when they sped upon him, when they mocked him, he could have sent 10,000 angels. He could have sent fire that we deserved. And he restrained. I want to tell you, his cross is the ultimate motivation and inspiration for living a life of self-control. The Lord's Supper reminds us of this. Don't live an out-of-control life Monday through Saturday and come on Sundays with a veneer of temperance and spirituality. And as we offer an invitation, Paul said in Romans 6, you can choose who has control. Somebody's going to be in control. Something's going to be either sin and unrighteousness or righteousness, either self, the devil, or God. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God in the flesh. Make a choice. Who is king of kings and Lord of lords? And we need to quit saying and quit making excuses and change this attitude of I can't help. I just feel I deserve. I don't deserve. Quit being selfish. Quit being carnal. Quit being arrogant and entitled. And serve God. Serve God. How do we do that? Don't make provision for the flesh. How? Put on Christ. How do we do that? As many of us were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul said, put off the old man of sin. How? Crucify him. Bury him. Washed in the blood. Resurrected a new person. New life. New way of thinking. New way of acting. That's how you do it. Through his righteousness, not your own. If we can help you with that, we would encourage you to make that commitment this morning. Think about when Paul preached to Felix about righteousness self-control and judgment to come. And as we reflect upon righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, don't be like Felix and say, I'll do it tomorrow. Trembled. When it's convenient, I'll change. Not going to be convenient. It's just going to get harder and harder. If you need to make a change, if you have a spiritual need this morning, 
the Lord, God, invites you to come. Give God control. Give Jesus control. Respond to the gospel and the truth. If you need to do that this morning, please come and have a seat on the front as we stand and sing together.